Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Please stop with the chit-chat. It's time for church. Good Yes. Welcome everybody, it's good to be here, nice to see some familiar faces. This morning there was a baby dedication and I think a lot of people just invited their home family, so I felt like I was a visitor at the guest church this morning. The only thing that looked familiar was the building, so it's good to see some familiar faces tonight, feels almost like small group and it's a privilege for me to be here and uh, share the word of God with you. Our title for tonight is Who Do You say I am. Who do you say I am? Well-known passage of scripture in Matthew 16, a well-known question that Jesus poses to the disciples. But before we get into that, let me pray for us and then we jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. And thank you, Lord, that as seasons come and go, Lord, you, you remain constant and the same, Lord. And we do not live, Lord, for specific seasons or times of the year, Lord, but what a year does give us, Lord, is just a time to reflect, Father, on some time that has passed. And as all of us experience different things, Lord, towards the end of the year, Lord, some might feel excited, Lord, for the new year, Father, just excitement in general. Some of us might be depleted, tired, burnt out. Wherever we are, Lord, I pray, Father, that we might have the grace tonight, Lord, just to set everything aside and just to look to you, Lord. And just to receive, Lord, from you, Father, everything. Whether it's conviction, whether it's encouragement. Whether it's a trial awaiting, Lord, like you said to Paul, but you will suffer many things for my name's sake. Whether it's an exciting word, Lord, to go and bless somebody or whatever it might be. May we know, Lord, that both of those two extremes, Lord, come from the same loving Father wanting to give life. Thank you, Jesus, that in all of life you've set the perfect example. Thank you for the work, Lord, that you've done on the cross. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here ministering to hearts. Thank you, Father, for your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we or looking at this great question, who do you say I am? And it's a context where a lot of things are happening and we'll read through basically the whole chapter and just look at a couple of key aspects on answering this question for us as well and what poses many times a hindrance to seeing Jesus for who he truly is. And you know, there's these two things that Jesus asked. The first is, who do people say that I am? And it's an important question for us to answer as well. Not just because if our answer aligns with the culture, then there may be something wrong, but also we are ministering to the culture. Amen? We are ministering to the culture. We are in a culture and we're supposed to reach people with the message of the gospel and it helps when we understand what their view of Jesus is. Specifically in the traditional Christian culture that we live in. Like I said this morning as well, one of the scariest things maybe to just be confronted with 
for a while is to quickly think about the number of people you know that identify as Christian. Just quickly think about that. Or maybe to ask it the other way around because it's a little bit more easier to, to count them. But who do you know that do not identify as Christians? Who do you know that, that, that are not following Jesus? And not by your own definition, mean by what they say. How many people do you know that do not follow God? They say we are not Christians. They have a different faith or maybe an atheist. But how many people do you know? If you were to attach a percentage to that, how many would that be? And you see, some of us maybe couldn't even think about one person. Or we thought about that one guy somewhere, but we don't actually know him or we're not friends with. Some of us might have thought about a couple of people, a number of people at work or wherever, but the percentage is small. Maybe 20% most, and then, I'm, then you're like really in a strange place. But most of the people we know identify as Christians. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus says in Matthew 7, broad is the gate and easy the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Narrow is the gate, hard the road that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So if, if that's true, if that's what Jesus say, how come everybody think they're going to be with him one day? The most probable explanation is that we have a misunderstanding concerning who Jesus is and what he has done. We don't comprehend who God is. We don't comprehend the gospel. Like we said, when the enemy comes and deceives us, it's not him pitching up saying, hey, I'm Satan, do you have five minutes? It's like Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims a different Jesus, a different gospel, another spirit, you accept it readily enough. For these people disguise themselves as apostles of Christ, workers of righteousness. And it's no surprise for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. It's difficult. That's why it's deceptive. And that's why it's so important to answer the question, okay, but who do we say Jesus is? And also, what does the world say about Jesus? It's not whether we're following a Jesus or believe a gospel. Is it the right one? Amen. And like I say, uncomfortable to be confronted with many times, specifically with the people in our lives. But we need to know this. We need to answer this question. So let's read together and see what we can learn from this passage. Matthew 16 from verse 1 to 27. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, that is Jesus' death and resurrection. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they, they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourself the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive 
Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to him, to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is coming, is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Big passage of Scripture, quite a challenging and confronting passage of Scripture. But let's look at a couple of key aspects. First one is in verse 6. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we read in Galatians 5 verse 9, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. And 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And again, yeah, interesting to remember that we read here, beware, watch out for the teachings of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now something to notice, we live this side of the cross 2,000 years ago, so we kind of have an idea about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. When we hear those words, we're like, ah, yeah, those guys. Prideful, arrogant, twisted the word of God, those who taught the traditions of man rather than the word of God, those who laid a burden on people's shoulder but didn't want to lift it themselves, those people that ended up crucifying Jesus. But here's the thing, they didn't know that. They did not perceive them in that way. They thought the people representing God, the people teaching the people about God, if we want to follow God, if we want to please God, we better listen to these people. Amen. In today's day, our church leaders and teachers, same thing. Beware, I know I'm obviously in that lot. I'm in there as well. Beware. But beware. Beware of false teachings. And here's the, the dangerous thing, a little bit of leaven, leaven's the whole lump. A misunderstanding about God and the gospel will shape everything. 
It has the possibility to leaven everything, to change everything as that false teaching starts to creep in. And here's the thing. We need to answer the question because I know we would like to think that we would not be easily deceived. Amen? We'd like to think that. And many times we might think to ourselves, man, how do people believe certain things? I don't know if you've ever like heard a teaching or saw something and thought to yourself, how? How is it possible that you'd believe that? What would get you to believe that? And many times we kind of get cross with the false teachers and yes, rightly so, and expose them and all of that like Paul also did in the New Testament. But what's at the heart of the matter? Why? Why do people teach that? Why do people believe that? They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It's passions. It's our desires. That's why. And it might not be an inherently bad thing. It might be that you desire a good thing. Maybe you or a family member or someone closer than that you love has an illness. And they're really struggling, man, and you see this, and you desire for this person to be healed and experience life in abundance. And along comes people that proclaim, you know, this faith gospel, man, if you just believe hard enough, if you just serve God hard enough, if you just tithe more, then God will. And they then, all of a sudden, they're giving everything they have. They're not receiving the miracle. Man, but maybe more, maybe more. And it's not an inherently bad thing, but it became an ultimate thing. You see, whenever it's even good things, when we place those desires above God, that's how we easily get distracted. And even when we are in Christ, we should remember that yes, we have a new nature. Yes, we've been born again of the Spirit of God, but the old man still lives inside. Amen? He's not completely dead, unfortunately. So something in me really wants to believe that lie. Also might want to fall for that. When the world's light shines, sometimes it gets tempting. Amen? And we need to realize that we're not immune to these things. But it's the passions inside of us. And so one good thing to do if you love listening to different speakers and so forth and you love that YouTube sermons and videos, try to see what's at the heart of this. If there's specific people that you constantly listen to, what are they speaking about? It'll give you an indication of your passion. If it's Christ, it's a good thing. Amen? But if it's everything else, beware. It might not be inherently bad, but whenever that thing becomes more important, more desirable than God himself, it's going to be disastrous. It's going to lead us to places that we don't want to be. Amen? And even this, you know, it starts... Small, and it grows big. Little bit of leaven. And we don't realize that. We live in this consumer culture. I mean, very, very aware of that this past week and week to come. It started with Black Friday, a day. Now it's basically Black November. Specials are all month. And they convince you that you need stuff that you didn't even know you did. You didn't need it the whole year, but now that it's on sale... You would basically be saving money if you buy it. I mean, that's how great the special is. It would be bad stewardship not to get this now. Amen? Well, that's the things that we tell ourselves. But it starts small and we come to church and we kind of look at the people and we look at the chairs. Well, we, 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 don't, we don't have the best ones specifically for those reasons. We don't want that nitpicky. No, I'm just making a joke. This is the chairs we do have. 
but the chairs and the aircon and the way we worship and the songs we worship and the messages we preach. And we might like it for a while, but then someone says something that we don't like or that small group or that person or whatever the case might be, and we're out. And we go look for a new place. And so it starts, oh, our children doesn't like this or they don't like that, whatever the case might be, and so we move. But it starts small. And we are teaching ourselves this consumer mentality that we don't deal with stuff. I mean, how many people about silly offenses? I, I would actually like to, to know the statistic or the amount of people that actually left a friend group or a church or a small group or whatever the case might be because of a silly disagreement with one person about something. Just the inability to confront because we're just so used to, if I don't like it, I just move. There's so many to choose from. Why deal with the uncomfortableness? Why not just go? It's a lot easier. And then when it happens there, we just go again. And it's just so easy and we teach ourselves this. And it starts to grow. Amen. And there's a lot of stuff that we can focus on, but I mainly want to speak about two things tonight. And the first one and the greatest hindrance is the quick fix God mentality that culture has. God of the gaps, you know, whenever I see a gap or wherever I don't know how to figure something out or wherever I need something and I cannot get it myself, then God must come in and fix this. And so we read in verse 1, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And again, verse 23, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I think Peter wasn't easily offended because that's quite a statement. He's still stuck in there for a while, even after this. I mean, props to him. I don't know if I would have done that well. This is quite a hard one. To be called many things, but I think for a Christian, this might be at the top. Call me a lot of things, but Satan, yeah, now we're getting there. But nonetheless, to get to the point, just to kind of explain the context here. This is just after Jesus healed a little demon-possessed girl, delivered her. He healed many people, lame, sick, blind, mute. He gave 4,000 people bread with seven loaves of bread. Now the Pharisees come and say, hey, will you please show us a sign from heaven? Like, um, we have you the last couple of days. It was quite eventful. There was a lot of signs. But what's the crux of the matter? Those signs didn't benefit them. Those signs didn't help them. Those signs didn't enrich their lives. In fact, they had a crowd and they had a following and people all around them giving them stuff for whatever kind of reason. And now that's starting to diminish. Now the people are starting to go away. They're starting to follow Jesus. So these are a lot of signs and wonders that you can clearly see that Jesus performs, but it's not benefiting them. So what they are saying is, do a sign for me. Give me that miracle, enrich my life, give me what I really want, then I'll believe you, God. If you can make me happy, if you can give me what I want, then I'll believe. Man, and how many times we see that, and, and we don't maybe admit it to ourselves in that way. But there's this thing that we want God to do, and many times we place God on trial. Hey, if you really God, do that trick. Come, let's see. If you're really God, you can do anything. Do this. Come on. And like Estelle said, all things work together for the good of those who love God. And it many times doesn't look the way we want it to look. The love of God manifests in a lot of different ways. He knows 
best. Now, a while back, I got a kind of a message thing from a mega church in Pretoria about a breakthrough service. Breakthrough service. And as I read through what they said, the bottom there's a list of breakthroughs that you can expect. And it's financial breakthrough. It's breakthrough in your marriage. It's breakthrough in your romantic life if you are not married. And it's physical healing. I thought to myself, well, it's, it's just so blatant that I don't know how we miss it many times. There's no breakthrough in our relationship with God. There's no greater revelation of who God is. There's no greater breakthrough in knowing Him and making Him known. No, it's earthly things. It's the things of man. It's what Jesus said to Peter. You are setting your mind on the things of man. Why did Jesus tell him that? Because what was Peter thinking? What was the average Jews in Jesus' day idea of the Messiah that's going to come. What is he going to do? He's going to liberate them from Roman oppression. The king will come and we're going to take up arms and we're going to drive the Romans out and we're going to be in charge of the land flowing with milk and honey again and we will rule again. It's the things of man. Health, wealth, prosperity. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm not here for that. You'll have a misconception about who I am and what I came to do if that is what you're constantly thinking about. And again, something that we need to note here is this is like five minutes after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ. I mean, he must have felt really good after that. I mean, that's that tough small group question and you got the answer right. You know, sitting there with the group and you, you said it. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this, but my father in heaven. I mean, it's a, it's a big moment. And on this confession, I will build my church. And he says, I will give you the kings of the kingdom of heaven. And what you bind will be bound and what you loose will be loosened. I mean, it's, it's a big thing. And he must have felt so good. Five minutes later, completely gets it wrong. Five minutes later, sets his thing, his mind on the things of man. And we need to know just because we were following God sincerely today doesn't mean we are going to do so tomorrow. It's not an automatic thing. It doesn't sustain itself. We need to actively and intentionally set our mind on the things of God. It's like Paul said at the end of his life, I finished the race. I fought the fight. It's an active thing. It's no passive laid back thing. It's going to take some effort. But it's not automatic. And again, here we need to examine ourselves. Are we placing the gifts above the giver? Is that our idea of Jesus? That he's there just to give us some stuff when we really need it? To jump in when the gap's there? How would we know? There's one area that will definitely highlight this to us, and it's our prayer life. What are we praying for? What are we praying about? And maybe as I said that, some realized, man, I don't have a prayer life, so it's difficult to expect and see what my prayer life's at the moment because there's just nothing's going on. And maybe on the one hand, it's because we don't want something really bad right now, that's why we're not praying. Or maybe on the other side, we gave up, became dismayed. Why? Because it's just not working. I'm praying for a lot of stuff, but I never get it. So God must not hear me pray. It's not why prayer's there to give us earthly stuff. It's to make our request known to God, but yes, by all means, not for him to do that, but just because we know then God is sovereign 
And when we confess our thoughts and our anxieties to a sovereign, almighty, holy God, that brings peace, the peace of Christ that guards our hearts. But prayer is there to fulfill the mission of God. Paul in prison never prayed and said, hey, please guys, pray that these people release me because they are holding me unjustly. No. He says, pray that words might be given me that I might proclaim the gospel as I should. That's why I pray. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Amen. You know the story about Sidrach, Misach, and Abednego. Daniel 3. The fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says, if the music starts to play, you worship the, the golden image. The music starts to play and some people come, hey, there's three Hebrew boys, they won't bend down. And they bring them to Nebuchadnezzar. It's kind of funny, the story for me, because he works with people, so he knows some people don't get stuff the first time. So he first thought that they misunderstood what the command was. He's like, hey, I don't know if you know what to do, but if the music starts, go like this. And they say, no, we understand. We know what we should do. We're just not going to do that. And let it be known to you, O King, that our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fire, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. And that's faith. We know God is able, but even if he doesn't. I know that there's this thing I desire, the circumstance that I'm going through, and I know God is more than able to deliver me from this. But even if he doesn't, I will not bow. Because that's not who God is. You see, the funny thing is when we place God on trial and says, I'll believe in you if you, if he does that, he's no longer God. Why? Because now our will is sovereign and his will's not. He doesn't dance according to our will. It's like the atheist and that debates. I'll prove to you God doesn't exist. Oh God, if you really exist, manifest yourself in this hall right now. See, nothing happens. God's not here. The irony being that if God actually did that, he would not be God. Because that's not how God works. We do not dictate to God what he must do and not do. He's God. He's sovereign. Amen. And the way we pray and the, view we, the way we go about life will depend on the view of Jesus that we have. Is he this nice guy that gives us stuff when we really need it? Or is the almighty, sovereign, holy, king of kings and lord of lords? There's a difference. Is the one that came simply to save, or is he Savior and Lord? It will depend upon the view of Jesus that we have. It will shape our entire life. It takes us to point number one. Beware of building your faith on the things of man. Beware of building your faith on the things of man. You see, because some people, maybe if you ask them, hey, why do you believe in Jesus? They'll say, no man, there was this tough time in my life and I lost my job and started to follow God and man, I got a new job. It's like, yeah, God is good and all of that, but that's not like supposed to be the basis of your faith. It's supposed to be the gospel. That which never changes. Because what if God decides, and he can, to take your job away again? Are you going to stop following him now because you started to follow him because he gave it to you, but what if he takes it away? Or that there was this ruptures in my marriage and we started to follow God, man, he fixed that. That's why I'm following God. Or someone was sick and they were healed. What if they get sick again? What if the marriage breaks down again? The way of building your faith, the things of man. Actually, after the morning service, Vian spoke to me, not this Vian, not this one, the other one, third one. 
He's also known as the third Lorenz because he's the third brother of the four. So he's literally the third one. Dan is vier. Too many viands. Nonetheless, getting a bit distracted here. He said there was this sermon that he listened to as well about a guy speaking about our God concept and to be aware of where we get it from. And we're going to get to that in just a moment as well. He says, because many people believe that, you know, if you just follow God and if you do the right things, then God will sort your life out for you. You'll never experience any hardship. It's basically prosperity gospel. And because you grow up with your parents and they go through some stuff and they experience certain stuff, but they just never tell you, it seems that, wow, it must be true. We just have a good time all of the time. And now all of a sudden you grow up. A new individual, and you start to work, and you start to build a family, and you realize, man, but this isn't how it works. I'm experiencing some difficult times. So either that God doesn't exist because that's what they told me, or either he just doesn't like me as a person. Because why is he doing this to me? It's because that's not who God is. That's not how God works. That's the wrong view of Jesus. He's not there to just simply make our life pleasing to us. The goal is not happiness, but holiness. Amen? So that we can be with Him forever. We're not going to live here forever. Amen? So these are the things of man, and then there's also the opinions of man. Again, this beautiful question, verse 15. And He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And interesting, this is in the context of them being at Caesarea Philippi. Say, little town with a lot of different religions different views from different singular gods that the people follow to just a pantheon of gods that the people follow. If you want it to rain, you go to that God. You give an offering and you give him some money and he'll make it rain. If you want the sun to shine, it's this God. If you want to be fertile, it's this God. If you want finances, it's this God. If you're going to war, it's that God. To even some people worshiping the Roman emperor. Just a whole bunch of different things. And in this place, Jesus asks, who do you say? that I am. Who do you say that I am? And I want to ask us that question. Who do you say Jesus is? And as important, why? Where did you get that view from? Why do you believe Jesus is? Whatever you you thought of who Jesus is. Why? Who told you that? Where does that idea come from? Where did you learn it? Whereas the Afrikaners will say in English, who learned it to you? And in English, who taught you that? We do get it wrong sometimes. Any from Shofar Joburg says, it, it feels like we are threatening people when we say we are going to learn you. <laughs> we are going to learn you. But why? Why do we believe that? Where did that idea come from? Where did it originate? And again, it might be a true one, but do we know if it's true or not? It might be a correct one, but there's only one way to tell. Look at where Peter got his revelation from. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. On this confession, Christ will build his church. You see, we need to get our revelation of God from God. 
It kind of sounds strange, but that's how it needs to, to work. We read in 1 Corinthians 2 from verse 10. It's just after verse 9, you know, it's also one of those misused verses. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has planned for those who love them. Have you ever heard that? Verse 10 says, these things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. We don't have to wait till one day. He's revealed it to us now. And then it says, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Nobody knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of a man that is within him. So nobody knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit searches everything, even the deep things of God. And we did not receive the Spirit of this world, but we have received the Spirit of God that we might know the things freely given us by God. We might know the Spirit has been poured out. Christ has died. The way is made. God wants to reveal Himself to us, but we need to go to Him for that to happen. It's the call in Matthew 3. And He appointed 12 to be with Him and so that He might send them out to preach. And we need to be with God to get a revelation from God. We cannot simply build our idea of who Jesus is on the traditions of man. In Jesus' day, He also came and said, in vain do you teach the traditions of man rather than the word of God. Man, one of the greatest stumbling blocks to really following God is tradition, if it's a wrong one. You know, this morning we had a baby dedication and the question is, why not baptize the baby? Why are you doing it differently now? Because our grandparents and we and their parents and us and everybody, we've always done it this way. It doesn't mean it's the right way. We need to look at Scripture to see what Scripture says, what God says. Amen? We cannot simply follow the traditions of man. And I know it's difficult. I know it's confronting. I know it's uncomfortable. But nonetheless, we need to go to the Word of God. That takes us to point number two. We need to move past flesh and blood. We need to move past flesh and blood. And I know some of us say, man, but I don't have time. We need to make time. Otherwise, you will constantly battle to the opinions of people. And maybe I say something to you today and tomorrow you hear a different thing. Now, which one will you choose? Who's right? Who's wrong? They say that. He says that. How will we know? You need to go to the Word of God and spend time in Scripture and in prayer and allow God to come and reveal. There's this beautiful passage in Acts 17. You can go and read it if you have time. Speaking about the church at Berea, and Paul and Silas were sent to the church in Berea, and they went to the synagogue and they taught there that Jesus is the Christ. And it says that the Jews in Berea were more noble than the Jews at Thessalonica because they received the word of God with all eagerness, but examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Therefore, a great number of them became obedient to the faith. Isn't that beautiful? They receive the word of God with eagerness, by all means. That's why the pulpit holds a central place in the church. We need to teach the word of God. We need to preach the word of God. But we need to daily examine the scriptures to see if these things are so. And that's what they did. And therefore, for this reason, a great number of them became obedient to the faith. Because they received the word with eagerness and examined the scriptures to see if these things are so. To receive a revelation of God from God. Amen. And one of the things that we can do, maybe start with the great doctrines, the doctrine of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, write it down, 
doctrine of man, who we are, the doctrine of sin, what's the problem that we have, the doctrine of salvation, how can what is wrong be made right, the doctrine of the church, who is the church, what should the church do, write it down. And then next week, write why do you believe what you believe about it. And you will either write the name of someone or a passage of scripture or nothing. And then wherever we cannot write a passage of scripture, we examine the scriptures daily. And we pray and we wait upon God to bring the revelation until we can write a passage of scripture there. That's why I believe that. That is who God the Father is. That is who the Son is. That is who the Spirit is. This is what they do. This is, who we, this is who we are. This is what sin does. This is the gospel. This is what the church should be. This is what the church should do. Amen? So that we not build our faith on the things or the sayings of man, but on the word of God. But now maybe you think to yourselves, man, there's a whole lot of stuff to go through to make sure then. But there's a more easier test that we can also do to at least make sure that we are moving in the right direction, that we are comprehending the biblical Jesus. And that is to see how that impacts our life. What we believe about God will shape our whole life. We do what we do because we believe what we believe. Inevitably, action flows from belief. It was kind of one of those icebergs. At the bottom of the water, you have belief and conviction. At the top, you have action. We do what we do because we believe what we believe. And we see it here in this passage. Jesus makes it clear what encountering the real Jesus would result in. Verse 21 and verse 24. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. That's the gospel. And when we comprehend that, when we understand what Jesus does for us, then the response is the following. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And man, that sounds difficult. It sounds like all things. Many of us can't, can't fathom the thought of not being in control. Oh, but how beautiful it is. How lovely it is. This is where we truly find love. Some of us are so depressed and so anxious and so overworked because we don't comprehend this, that Jesus is in control, that we can surrender everything to him. And then in prayer, go to this sovereign God, knowing that he makes all things work together for the good of those who love him. Man, doesn't that bring relief? You see, in John 4, Jesus encounters this woman at the well, also a well-known story. And Jesus said, if you drink of the water I give, you'll never be thirsty again. And some of us are constantly running off the stuff and we don't seem to realize that we are still thirsty, even more so than we started. We are more anxious. We are more angry. We are less patient. The fruit of the Spirit diminishing as we are chasing after these worldly things. Why? Lay it down. Can't you see? Stop that. Come to me, all who are carrying heavy burdens, who are tired, burnt out. Come to Christ. Take of the water freely. And then follow him. Because in that same passage, Jesus sends the disciples. There's kind of two things that Jesus wants to explain to them. He sends the disciples to go and get food. And when they come back after Jesus ministered to this woman, they want to give him the food. And Jesus says, I have food that you do not know about. And I must say, if I was a disciple, I would have been 
quite confused. Like, yes, this guy sends us to get food and then he eats his own snacks. But what's going on here? But then at the end, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father. Man, that sustains. That fills me up like nothing on earth can. To know him, to make him known. There's nothing that will satisfy like that. There's nothing that will fulfill like that. And again, many of us know, we know that is what we should do. We know that's what the outflow should be. Living for Christ, if we understand the gospel, we've heard it a number of times, but every year I think this is going to be the year. Devoted to prayer, reading my Bible. Man, I'm going to witness to the people, and it just doesn't happen. Why? Most likely, you are still stuck at information. You've never gone to God, sit at His feet, and allow Him to come and reveal that to your heart. It's one thing knowing it up here. It's a different thing when God comes and reveals the truth to us. It's more real than anything we can have in this world. That drives and sustains. And man, you thought, man, if I listen to more sermons on YouTube, listen to more things, then maybe then. No, go and sit at his feet. Read, pray, be quiet. Read, pray, be quiet. And allow God to come and reveal. He is willing and able. Christ has died and is raised for us. The Spirit has been poured out so that we can know him. The way is made kind of having this picture in my mind of a, a fireplace and the fire's already lit. We just need to go and sit down. Man, go and enjoy it. Stop chasing of the stuff that don't fulfill. Realize that you are more anxious, more tired, more angry, less patient. Stop. Just stop. And go and sit at the feet of Christ. Amen. Finish all for us with verse 24. 25 and 26. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's what I just explained. True life, true sustenance, true fulfillment. Living for God. We were never made to live for ourselves. We weren't made that way. It's like throwing diesel into a petrol car and wondering why it doesn't run. It wasn't supposed to work that way. We're not supposed to live for ourselves. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The chasing of this world, it will leave you empty. You will forfeit your soul. For what shall a man give in return for his soul? Christ is the one that fulfills. It takes us to the last point. A true revelation of Jesus leads us to surrender completely to him. A true revelation of Jesus leads us to surrender completely to him. And again, examine your life the last couple of months. Is that true? Life surrendered. And some of us might think, man, it was like that. Isn't anymore. Yes, we can, like Peter, quickly shift to the things of man. But if we see Jesus for who he is, surrender takes place, man, and that is beautiful, and that is freeing, and that is lovely. 